Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And this is the very word of our God that we'll look at for a few moments this morning as it is found in Romans chapter 4. Well, you know, whatever else the uh, 21st century has taught us, uh, it certainly made us uh, what I might call uh, investigation conscious. Seems like every aspect of our life is investigated. I'm not just talking about the FBI or the CIA or the IRS, but even when you go and buy a car, they investigate your credit score. Uh, there are people who are out there who investigate uh, uh, the water quality of the water that we drink here at Christ Star King. you got to send in samples. Uh, they investigate uh, things having to do with the safety of your car. Almost every aspect of our life is under scrutiny. You know, fact-finding committees are at work investigating every phase of your life. And certainly some of those findings ultimately end up in Lansing or in Washington, which in turn determine the destiny of our political, educational, uh, and literally our social lives. You know, but long before there were any investigative bureaus, there was a committee of one man who was divinely appointed by God to gather the facts and present the case, and answer the question, the most important question in the history of the world. And the question is this, how is a man made right with God? You know, it's an ever-occurring question that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Ever since Adam and Eve caved into sin, the question is this, how, how can a person be right with God? And the reason that people ask this question, even to this day, is because deep down in their heart, they know that there is something wrong with their relationship with God. You know, most people know that they are sinners, unless, unless they lie to themselves or deceive themselves. But from time to time, they wonder, even at times we wonder, how will I fare On Judgment Day, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, that question uh, ran through the man, the mind of a man that I was called to visit. I received a phone call from the hospice up at the evangelical home. A family had requested a Lutheran pastor to come and visit their father. It's from Zaneville, Zaneville, I thought it was someplace east of Columbus anyway. I don't know how to pronounce it. How do you pronounce it, John? Zanesville, okay. Anyway, after I got to know this man a little bit by the name of Jim, I asked him this question. Well, Jim, how are you and the Lord? How are you really getting through all of this? And he said, all right, I guess. And then I asked him, Are you certain of your salvation? And he said to me, I hope so. You know, a lot of people answer that way. I hope so. But I'm not really sure. Isn't it true that the devil doesn't play fair? Right up to the very 
last moments of our earthly life, he's trying to get us to doubt what God's done for us. He's trying to get us to doubt the certainty of our salvation. You know, at first, I wanted to say to Jim, don't give me that garbage. But, you know, as the more we talked, Jim, on his own accord, gave me this incredible confession of faith. You know, it's really something that he needed to do. Something that he needed to hear with his own ears. That he needed a Savior. And that he had a Savior and has a Savior. The more I talked to him, the more I began to understand, you know, there was no doubt in my mind whose he is and where he was going. I mean, he trusted in Jesus. And he responded throughout his life. I learned that his family was instrumental in starting the Sunday school. And his twin daughters who were there, they were the Sunday school superintendents. Anyway, he's not saved by his works, but he powerfully confessed his faith in Jesus. Again, you know, devil doesn't play fair, though. Even for a man of faith like Jim, the devil's trying to get him to doubt. Well, in today's epistle lesson, one man is called by God to gather all of the facts to present the case. How is a man justified before God? How is a man made acceptable in the sight of God? And that man's name was the Apostle Paul. Paul gives a report of his findings here in the book of Romans. That man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. You know, as we begin this study of Romans chapter 4, if you have your Bibles with you, take a look at it. In Romans chapter 4, it's almost like you're in the middle of a courtroom scene. Paul begins to present as a skillful lawyer a test case. The case of God versus Abraham. He presents a legal precedent or a a legal briefs of sort. And Paul gives this detailed and powerful argument that a person is justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ Jesus. So Paul asks the question, what about Abraham? How was Abraham saved? Is Abraham saved by the things that he did? Or is he saved by what God has done? Now Paul's choice of this particular case is no accident. After all, Abraham's life and his relationship with God is significant. People in the Old Testament believed that Abraham, if there was anyone who was righteous in the sight of God, it had to be Abraham. He was, to the Jewish people, a hero of faith. They thought of him as a man who had been saved by his works. And that even his faith was a work on his part, some uh, meritorious performance. Some believe that Abraham was uh, so righteous that he never sinned. And some of the Jewish people believed that their father Abraham, remember that song, Father Abraham had many sons? Some of them believed that he was so righteous that his righteousness was credited to their account, and that they were saved because they were related to Abraham. So what Paul does is, as a skillful lawyer here, he investigates the Scriptures. That's a good thing to do, isn't it? 
He checks out the facts. He evaluates Abraham's life. And Paul investigates, first of all, God's law. And what does God's law say in Romans chapter 3? It says, all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. You know, if Abraham were to boast, could he boast about himself? Could he boast about what he did? A lot of the people in those times would say absolutely. But Paul offers this strong rebuttal. Abraham could not boast before God any more than we can boast before God when it comes to our salvation. Any attempt to invoke the law as a means of justification is horrible theology. So again, like a skillful lawyer laying out the case, Paul continues. He says, because of our sinful nature, we're like uh, roadkill. He probably doesn't use those terms. But think about roadkill. Saw raccoon and a possum on the way to work today. Roadkill. So dead in our trespasses and in our sin, that we're stiff and smelly. In fact, the Bible says that in our sin, we are uh, spiritually blind, spiritually dead, and that we're enemies of God, and we don't even have a desire in us to be saved. And again, you remember the explanation of the third article of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, which gives us a summary of what the Bible teaches. It says what? Uh, No one can say by their own reason, we cannot by our own reason strength believe in Jesus Christ or even come to him, but rather the Holy Spirit has called us by the gospel. Again, our salvation is the work of Christ. It's like this idea of justification. Picture it as this box of all that God has done to rescue us through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Justification. And mankind is always trying to add his goodness into this sealed box. God has done this. The Bible proclaims that, again, God, if we get to heaven, God gets all the glory. He gets all the credit. If we go to the other place, guess who gets the credit? We do. Paul even quotes Genesis 15, 6, where he says this, again, Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Remember what the King James says? King James says, it was reckoned, I reckon, reckoned to him as righteousness. So in today's lesson, Paul really here is dissecting the language of God's verdict. In other words, what does it mean that God credited it to his account? And again, Paul explains it here in Romans chapter 4. All of us who work for a living, we know what it's like to go to work. You know, you go to work and at the end of the week, uh, the guy that you work for or at the end of the month is to pay you wages. And when you get your paycheck, neither you nor your employer think of it as a gift. Rather, Your employer is obligated to pay the wages that you work for. But again here in the case of God versus Abraham, God credited righteousness to his account. Abraham hadn't worked for it. He hadn't deserved it. Justification is not by works. But again, sinful mankind, the devil hammers away 
and doesn't want us to believe this. Think about it. There's only two religions in the world. There's God's and there's man. God gives us what we don't deserve. Man, all pagan religions insist that there has to be something that you have to do in order to earn God's favor. Again, all pagan religions. And then, of course, you have even some Christians who preach that we are saved by God's grace. They proclaim the atoning sacrifice of Christ, and that's great. But then they say, but there's still something, something that you must add to what Christ has done to make you right before God. Paul goes ballistic. You can picture him in a courtroom, can't you? Uh, be like facing Jeffrey Figer. Uh, Paul uses strong language to show that we bring only our sin when we come to God. We simply lay our sin at the foot of the cross. Christianity really begins with a sense of what? Sin. In return, God does the unthinkable. God credits Christ's perfect righteousness to Abraham's account and to your account and to mine. But again, the people in Jesus' day misunderstood this. They were not chosen because Abraham was righteous. All of Israel, just like all of us, had been a cancer patient on God's life support, just like every other sinner has ever lived. But one day God would come as a judge, as a judge of all people, who by themselves would stand spiritually naked before God. You know, without Christ, that's not a pretty picture, is it? It's a scary picture. The bottom line for Abraham and the bottom line for us, Paul is saying, is this. Look, God acted. God first acted on our behalf. Faith receives a gift. Faith never stands alone. But faith receives what God has won for us. Faith receives God's grace and his mercy and the merits that Christ has won for us. Abraham believed this, and then what happened? It literally shaped his words and his actions accordingly. You and I are saved by grace alone, the same way that Abraham was saved. On Good Friday, Christ died uh, each patient's eternal death. Christ rose again. His resurrection, his death, now becomes our death and our resurrection. And none of us can boast, because none of us deserves this gift. But still, people are tempted to think, God, don't my religious acts, don't they count for something when it comes to my salvation? Doesn't the fact that I'm here at church this morning, the power's been out all week, doesn't that count for something? And the answer is no. Again, go back to Abraham. Can't we say that Abraham earned God's favor? In answer to the question, Paul presents the facts. The Old Testament scriptures clearly show us 
that the verdict declaring Abraham righteous came about 14 to 29 years before he was circumcised. You know, some people thought that circumcision was a good work that saves you. But again, in the case of God versus Abraham, this case sets the precedent. God's righteousness comes to you also through faith apart from the works of the law. Through faith, you become a member of God's family. You become an heir of all of the promises that God gave to Abraham. And our works, are our works important? Absolutely. Our works are a joyful response to what Christ has already done for us. In fact, if you can't respond in faith, uh, your faith's probably dead. You know, James talks about that. So let's wrap this up. You've been brought to faith by the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, working through God's Word and working through the sacraments. You know, how critical it is for us to bring our sins and lay them at the foot of the cross. How critical and how crucial it is and how privileged we are then to draw upon His forgiveness. You know, attempting to inherit eternal life by living according to the law is just foolish. It's a futile endeavor. You know, if eternal life could be gained by our works, then you'd have to say that Jesus' death on the cross, his entire life, his entire ministry was a waste of time and absolutely worthless. You know, in another part of Scripture that Vance knows well. What's your favorite verse, Vance? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by what? Grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It is a gift from God so that no one can boast. So is justification by faith apart from the works of the law a big deal? Absolutely. It was a big deal. A big deal for Abraham. And I can guarantee you it's a big deal for you. And it's a big deal. A big deal for me as well. Thanks be to God for this powerful declaration of how we are saved. In his name we ask it. Amen. We pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the grace and the mercy uh, shown to us. Uh, the radical message of Christianity is that we are saved by, our, by your grace and not by our works. And Lord, we pray that uh, that faith that has worked in our heart, we are your workmanship as the result created in Christ Jesus then to respond by doing good works that will glorify your name and point others to you. So Lord, help us in our faith life. Help us to follow the example of our Savior. Help us, Lord, to always keep our eyes fixed on you. We pray and we ask these things in your name and all of God's people said, Amen.